0: This is the Mosh Pit Backstage Podcast for punk, metal and rock interviews and segments. G'day, this is Riley from Desecrated, and you're getting thumped in the Mosh Pit on Sid.
1: Riley Strong is the vocalist and guitarist of Melbourne thrash metal band Desecrator, whose debut album, To The Gallows, is out now. They'll be having their album launch show with Harlan on April 29th at the Bendigo Hotel. Riley, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Pleasure to be here, man.
1: So the band's been around for nearly 10 years. Tell us the story of Desecrator. Tell us the story of those last almost 10 years.
0: Um, oh, it's, it's crazy to hear that back, actually. It's something that it never feels like that long. I still see De- the Desecrator as as a band climbing the ladder and gaining ground as much as I did probably in year one or two. But um, if I go back all the way, I think it's been about eight odd years now. If I go back to 2008, um, I had an idea for a band. I'd, I'd been over in Europe and um, attending some festivals and gigs and a lot, you know, the lightning bulb, light bulb moment happened where I decided that this was the time to... To start a thrash metal band. There was a lot happening at the time. A lot of thrash metal bands were coming back. A lot of the older guard were happening. A lot of the new wave of bands like Warbringer and Evil and everything were coming up as well. And it just seemed like a really, like if there was ever going to be a chance, that was the time. So I put a band together, got back to Australia, wrote some songs. It all kind of started to roll from there. A line up formed. We started playing shows. And um, slowly over the years, we you know, gave it a crack. We were lucky enough by uh, the first couple of years, we gained a fair bit of support from the underground scene in Melbourne and Australia, and we very quickly uh, got a lot of show opportunities, um, you know, decent slots to play and to showcase. Um, and we gained a lot of ground really quickly. We were really, uh, what we were playing at the time seemed to stand out. It seemed to be something that people weren't hearing many bands doing the style of metal that we were in Melbourne at the time um there wasn't really a thrash scene here uh you know there were the bands that are now kind of involved in it were starting to be around but it wasn't a formed scene so we were playing with a lot of a lot of different bands a lot of you know death metal bands and we were kind of a lighter band on the bill but that seemed to work really well for us and uh, we snagged some great supports in the early days. We toured with Forbidden, uh, with Havoc, and did a couple of things that, that kind of got us in front of people. And from there, it just kept going. We By 2000 and 2015, we did our first tour of Europe uh, with Hyrax, uh, the the old uh, American thrash band. Uh, that went really well for us. We did a headlining tour of R- Russia after it. And last year, we followed that up with a a Mexican and Brazilian headline tour and then late last year we went out on the road with Venom uh, and then straight after that was Crowbar and Overkill and they were fantastic shows. It was the biggest thing we'd done to date and it really was encouraging stuff. You know, along the way different people signed up to help us. We got a better booking agents overseas and, you know, as much as we've always been an independent band, we did find a lot of support along the way and we have found People who have kind of helped us, you know, get to the next bit here and the next bit there, and, and that's kind of landed us where we are.
1: In terms of the name, how'd you come up with that? Because it's, it's kind of got that in terms of just the rhythmic and just audio quality of the pure name. It seems very much <laughs> like a. The good, aren't they?
0: Yeah, It yeah. kind of rolls off the tongue. It's got good vowel to consonant ratio. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's a Flotsam and Jetsam song called Desecrator, and that was, I think, where I started at the time. It sounded good, um, we came up with a logo for it, it looked good, mm. and that was about all the thought we put into it, man. You
1: you, you talked a lot there about um, touring and that kind of stuff, but yeah. for good reason, you haven't talked about putting out a debut album at any stage yeah. along that, because this is the debut album. How'd you kind of get that far without a debut? Because it seems like people getting their foot in the door is the, the first major record they released, but you, you haven't had that until now. It's really, it's really interesting kind of position you feel. Yeah, well,
0: it, in. It, it was never an intended... Uh, it was never a business plan. It was never part of a business plan to, um, to leave a studio album so late. I mean, we aren't without releases. We've got three releases mm. out at the moment. Our first release uh, was pretty soon after we formed, and it was a live album. Now, that wasn't something that was done through lack of budget or lack of of availability of studio. It was a a premeditated decision at the time that what we were hearing as a band that was coming out was so, to our ears, was quite overproduced. Uh, was quite shiny, that very typically American and LA sound. and, And metal had been pushed to such an extreme to our ears that there's really nothing you can't do in a studio. But we were always intending on being a live band we were always intending on being a touring band that was who we wanted to be and it was the realms we wanted to exist in so when it came to putting out our first release we uh, purposely re- recorded a live album in the really raw no frills uh, the songs do the talking and this is what you will get if you come to a show so come to a show you know. Th- this is how we slay we were lucky enough we worked with um a producer in germany named harris johns who uh is kind of famous for creator and sodom and a bunch of other things he mixed and masters the the record so it was quite highly polished for a uh live album and that really brought the raw tracks to life and i think made a point of difference to to other bands who maybe just do a live album as a stopgap thing uh but that definitely got us out of the gate then um the next release we put out a ten-inch LP, a four-song LP called Down to Hell. A few years later, that was always meant to be a stopgap for the band, um, you know, a between albums type of release. Uh, again, it was it was just an LP. It was limited to three hundred copies, and it was always meant to be just a, you know, keep people keep something, uh, you know, something out for people to chew on in the meantime while we got around to an album. Different lineup changes happened, different tours came up, and it just. I never got to the point where we had the space and the time to do what we wanted to with a studio album. So it wasn't something that we just left so late on purpose. But in looking back at it now, in looking at all the things that we've achieved, it does, in my mind, kind of reaffirm that the classic recipe of start a band, spend heaps of money on an album and then it'll do something for you, it's not necessarily the only way to do it. I think the industry is a very changed place from the days where record labels controlled bands and record labels had enough money to dictate what bands did and when. And getting them in the studio and getting them in debt in the studio was the classic recipe to how to sign up and how to promote a band. But I don't think it has to be the way. I'm not recommending anyone does it our way because you know we aren't without our hardships and we've sacrifice just as much as any band to make it work but at the same time it's kind of shown that that it can be done a different way and you can still succeed with your own set of goals and kind of do it in your own order, you know, so now we've actually gotten to the point that it's it's 2017 and our first studio album's just come out
1: Now when did you first start thinking like, no this is like we're really going to do it. Um, the, we've got the time. We've got the space. This yeah, is going to happen.
0: To be honest, we never had the time and the space, but it was <laughs> getting so ridiculous that we had to make the time and the space. It just never happens. It's always been such a busy band. To be honest, uh, right now we're about to take off on another Australian tour to promote this record. Um, but but the months between uh, Overkill ending and that tour ending in December last year, and uh, and this Stewart was starting at the very end of March. That's about the longest time his band's had off shows, uh, you know, in as long as I can remember. So it really did come down to we knew that uh, that it had to happen. Uh, we, you know, we've been been playing a lot of shows overseas, talking to a lot of labels, talking to a lot of A and R dudes, and kind of uh, looking at what the next step for Desecrator is as far as how do we grow this and how do we keep growing at this age so that we don't stagnate and it just became blindingly obvious that we couldn't put it off anymore, we couldn't prioritize anything else it really had to happen. The advantage that we did have is that as far as this album goes, you know, some of these songs have been being played for the last couple of tour cycles, so we have been able to road test the songs the, the, the concept of writing songs and producing them ourselves and kind of bringing them out and letting them mature isn't a new concept because we're not a new band. So, it, uh, definitely we could uh, trial and error a lot of things on the road and we could still use the time that we were touring to, to, to fine tune it. Uh, but last year, basically, when we got back from uh, the Road Warriors tour in Brazil, We had a gap before Europe and we went, right, that's it, we've got to get in, we've got to track it. So we tracked it in the middle of last year and then it was slowly, you know, refined, mixed, mastered uh, over the later parts of last year.
1: Where do you get the inspiration for both the music and the lyrics? Um, Is there any modern inspiration for that, particularly in kind of the turmoil we find ourselves in the world?
0: Look, I'm not an overly themed. Songwriter, Uh, as a lyricist, um, I suppose I draw uh, lyrical uh, inspiration from from anything that you know interests me. I'm a a firm believer in writing. You know, you write ten pages of words to get one good line. I don't uh, often wait for the spark of inspiration in either you know a current political setting or a current world setting to take my fancy and you give me gold. I write. I write all the time, I always keep uh, pads around, the notepad on my phone's always full of absolute drivel. And uh, I find through that, that that all the things that we absorb you know, in this 24 hour news cycle, social media cycle, just in this world that doesn't stop, you know, all the things that go in and maybe aren't even processed at the time, in downloading your thoughts constantly you can stare back at them and you can see little things that interest you and you get little sparks of ideas come from that. So nothing's really that premeditated and thought about, but at the same time, the things I write about, I guess, come down to the things that that I encounter and interest me enough to think that I can get three verses and a chorus out of them.
1: You're having a double album launch with Harlot on the 29th at the Bendigo Hotel. Have this come back? Because it seems like a fairly unique event to have two albums by two, you know, fairly successful yeah, okay. thrash bands released at the same, um, yeah. uh, happening at the same time.
0: It was perfect timing. Harlot have got a big gigging history with us. Uh, we've been playing with them for a while. Uh, over the years, taken have uh, t- taken them on the road as well. And, you know, we love those dudes. We love what they're about. We get along really well. Uh, so just keeping in contact, you know, where uh, guys all know each other and, you know, you catch up at this gig or that gig, or if you don't have a gig on when the other one plays, you know, you go down and see them. So through that, I knew they had a record coming out. Uh, and I knew it was around the same time as ours, so it was just a punt, man. It was just a, how you want to do it. Like, I reckon that two two's going to be better than one. Like, let's really uh, for, combine this effort and give Melbourne something to remember, you know. As far as Melbourne Thrash goes, two really strong names, and I think that it's going to be a really good night. Then you know, chucking uh, Hidden Intent uh, from Adelaide, and then the dudes from Blackhelm to to open it. Like it's a really, it's a it's a lineup I'm really really happy with. It's a I'm a big fan of 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 really putting on good you know good content shows that that give punters what I'd want to see in a show. You know, give you a reason to be down there from the start to the finish. So mm. yeah, it's going to be a good night. I'm looking forward to it a lot.
1: Um, in sort of related to hidden intent, you did a show in Melbourne <coughs> with uh nuclear assault. It was when fi- yeah. it was on their final tour how How was that yep. was was, the, was was there anything kind of like how, how did the show go because uh, i unfortunately yep. couldn 't attend it was just yep. a really fascinating thing for a band to sort of been doing their final tour
0: yeah first ever and final mm. uh, i think nuclear assault for all the old school crashes that was a band that no one ever thought was going to come to Australia. So as soon as it announced, uh, we knew there was going to be vibes. to it. We knew it was going to go really well uh, because it was going to bring out the old guard, which is always a great time. You know, when you get the old guard who don't uh, go to all the local shows out, as well as the young thrashes, those are the nights that are always a great time. So, yeah, it was a, it was a sick night. Hidden Intent did really well. I think that tour, they did all... Uh, all the shows on that tour, and that went really well for them. Got them in front of some new fans and some new faces and got their awareness up. For us, it it felt really good to get up there with such a strong Melbourne crowd and kind of represent to Nuclear Assault what Melbourne is in heavy metal. You know what I mean? It really felt like uh, they had a great night. They had one of the best shows of the tour. I'm pretty sure that that they were calling it the best. Might have been up the start, maybe they were just saying that, who knows. But anyway, they had a great night and they had a really good response and they were all in a really happy mood and at the bar afterwards they were nothing but complimentary about Australian heavy metal and how excited they were to be here. So, yeah, it was a pretty successful show, especially for a midweek show, you know. Sometimes a Wednesday night show, they can go either way, it's a school night, you know. But, um, no, it was a fantastic night, fantastic.
1: Getting back to the album a bit, Serpent's Return was first recorded for the live album, Life Till Death, I think, is that correct? Yeah, yep. Now, were you all worried at all that it wouldn't capture the same energy or aggression that you get from recording at a live show? Well,
0: yeah, I mean, part of us, When we sat down, because we've got such a body of work now, uh, but but have never put it down to a studio album, we sat down and had a conversation as a band uh, about... You know, uh, do we feel that we need to write 11 new songs that have never been featured before? Do we need to be playing new songs that people have never heard? Or can we treat this first album as almost a best of what people in Australia have been hearing for the last eight years' album and then move forward? Like, And there was a, definitely a thought in our minds that, that we'd be a little bit shattered if we went forward and never made... Uh, you know, clear studio versions of some of the songs that always felt to us from the minute we wrote them deserve that type of, kind of, that type of um, studio separation, uh, for you know, for lack of a better term. But uh, so for, for Down to Hell, For Serpent's Return, and If You Get the Downloading at the Bonus tracks for Balancing on a Blade, those are all songs that, that we had, released on different uh different stopgap releases in the past but we always kind of felt that they needed their day in the sun that they deserved to be recorded in a studio so when it came down to writing the record we had more songs we had a lot to choose from uh but we chose the best of what we had. we thought was really who knows what's going to happen tomorrow who knows if this will be the one and only hopefully it won't but who knows if it will and if it is then we wanted our absolute front foot forward, so we could listen to it as band members and say we gave that every bit of every note, kind of every riff, every part that we had is on that record. So yeah, there really there was a a conversation about the the older songs, but but straight away it was there was no argument involved. It was really like this song, this song, and this song are just going to sound amazing. Or let's just do it, you know. Yeah.
1: Another track on the song, I think it's As I Die, is a ballad, right? Yeah. Yeah, now, ballads have always struck me as kind of odd for thrash bands, because they're kind of a a complete change in pace. Why why do you think thrash bands have sort of played them throughout, you know, almost going back to the beginning, and why did you try uh, choose to write one?
0: Look, as to why bands in the 80s were doing them, I'd say it's fairly different reasons now. I mean... Back in the day, the make or break of a band could be a film clip on MTV, and to get on MTV, you had to write a song like Whitesnake were doing. So, so there was probably something that the older bands were showing a softer edge, or maybe their labels were trying to get them to show musical dis- diversity, I'm not sure, but uh, it definitely has become a bit of the, the, the standard heavy metal album that has the one soft song. And it's normally track 4 too, I'm pretty sure Metallica pioneered and wrote that in the rule book type of thing but um for us i'd always wanted to do one i've been trying to write a slow song since the band started and i've never been able to do it we always just speed them up you get two riffs into it the thing goes 220 bpm and you go gone type of thing like i've never been able to write a slow song so i've always wanted to do it and i've always written half songs and bits of songs and it just hadn't really worked no one ever vibed it. When you'd start in the jam room, it just didn't come up. And then uh, finally it happened. You know, uh, As I Die uh, was just a song that, that, that came up slowly. It came up part by part. We used to just play it at the end of every rehearsal. We never really focused on it. We never really uh, spent too much time in a rehearsal room. We'd play our live sets, we'd work on our new songs, and then after everyone's limbs felt like they were going to fall off, we'd just play it once. And whether we played it well, whether we played it bad, we'd just play it once, not really even comment on it, and just walk away. And that was, uh, I think, overall the, the correct approach for a song like that, because it it let it have as much breathing room as it needed to not be kind of manifested in a uh, in a... A sterile, cl- clinical way. It came apart in about in a very organic way. So, yeah, it's, it stands out like a sore thumb. But at the same time, by the time it winds up in the second half, I feel like it's definitely got a place. And especially if you grab the the uh, the album on vinyl, uh, it's the last track on side A, and it really feels like a nice completion. You know, before Serpent's Return kicks your ass on side B. A
1: couple of questions about you as a as a musician. When did you first get into music?
0: Uh, it's always been in my blood, man. I've I've played instruments. I have played guitar since I can remember. It's it's always been been a part of my life. I think I I started in you know actually focusing on it and making it uh, being a dominant force in my life during my teen years when I discovered heavy metal, I suppose, and then pushed it from there. But um. Yeah, uh, you know, from a very young age I've always had some type of guitar in my hands. So it's always... It has always been, and I'd say for better or worse, it will always be a uh, fairly dominant part of my life.
1: Um, How did you first get into heavy metal?
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'm not one of your classics, found rock and roll and then got heavier type of set that a lot of people do. I literally, from I think it was grade three... Um, Step brother at the time had a copy of the Black album uh, and had an Ugly Kid Joe record, and that was where it started. So it was, you know, started started at that point, and then Metallica became a thing. So, Justice for All. I remember buying the tape of Ride the Lightning by the time I was in grade five, and I was just hooked on thrash metal. It just stayed that way. I just loved heavy metal, I loved thrash metal, and then it kind of went left and right stylistically from there, you know.
1: Final questions, do you have any favourite albums or bands? I know it's a very difficult question, but, um, yeah, are, are you able to name any? Uh, yeah.
0: It is a difficult question, because definitely as you get older, I mean, I'm I'm doing 32 this year, I think. I think I'm 32 this year. I'm turning 32 this year, we're going to decide that. Um, as you get older, your musical palette, definitely, I think, Broadens and the sounds that kind of, the sounds that can change your moods and emotion change, I think, and the, you know, things that you listen to and kind of swore oaths by when you were younger, those oaths soften a bit and you realize that it's okay to like this and not okay to like that. So, you know, it is a really broad thing. Like, like when we're overseas too, it depends on your perspective of where you are. Like, if we're touring overseas, we get really starved for Australian sounding music, especially if we're in a non Australian non-Australian speaking country and two of the big things that we'll always put on as a band and for me personally that i always like to listen to is dreadnought uh the old melbourne band Uh, we absolutely love those guys and love that band and the minute we chuck on one of their records it takes us straight back to melbourne straight back home in a really emotional way and Cold Chisel, which I never would have thought I'd say, but I love no, nothing more than hearing Ian Moss play guitar when I'm overseas and I just can't hear that Australiana-type sound. So I love all that. like I love all that classic Australian rock and roll stuff like Rose Tattoo and The Angels. Um, to bands like Buffalo and all that kind of 70s Australian stuff. Uh, lately I've been getting into a lot of kind of slower more mood-based stuff like uh, Pole Bear and a lot of clean vocal doom bands I find really interesting because it's so far removed from what I play personally. Uh, in the thrash world, I mean, it's always the great, it's like, a, you know, Metallica and Slayer and Creator and Destruction, all the Teutonic German wave of it, but classic heavy metal like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, there's always a place in every metalhead's heart for that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, man, I mean, I could go on for hours and hours and have music that I like, but I suppose if there's one album that that is doing it for me right now is I just recently rediscovered Death Race King by The Crown, uh, a Swedish death metal band, and that album, to me, is one of the most perfect albums of that scene ever produced. I just... Every song changes perfectly in every single part, and somehow they've made rock and roll infused with intense heavy metal in a way that isn't gimmicky and isn't in any way to the side of just being straight ahead brutal heavy metal, and I love it. So there's one.
1: Desk Creator's debut album, To the Gallows, is out now. They'll be having an album launch show with Harlot on April 29th at the Bendigo Hotel. Uh, Riley, thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, pal. Thanks for the chat.
0: Thanks for listening to the Moshpit Backstage podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Omni. To find out more about the show, go to www.syn.org.au/slash moshpit. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash moshpitonSyn and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at moshpitSyn. The regular moshpit radio show broadcasts punk rock and male tunes and interviews every Thursday nights on SYN 9.7 on FM and digital radios. Listeners outside of Melbourne, Australia can stream SYN 9.7 online at www.syn.org.au. Thanks to Vintage Ruin for the music. Hi, this is Sir Muscle from Flashground Apocalypse.
1: Hi, I'm Enid from Girls I am Phoebe Pinnock from Heaven the Axe. Hey, this
0: is Gary Oldman of
1: the List. Hey, this is Kat Sproul from
0: Horizon's Edge and you're listening to the Moss Pit on Finn FM. Hi, this is Aina from Leprous. Hi, I'm Virginia Lilly from the band Lily. This is Round from 49. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ali from Heberhead. Hey everybody, this is Charlie Benante with Ask and you are listening to The Mosh Pit on tip.